Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And today we are picking up where we left off with the Hope Diamond. Yes. So to recap, the Hope Diamond is a giant blue diamond the size of a walnut. Yes. So giant and walnut may not go together in your head, but uh, in terms of diamonds, it's quite sizable. Uh it has passed through the hands of many people through the years. It first came into uh, the Western record anyway in the 1600s. It was owned by the Sun King, King Louis XIV of France, as well as King Louis XV and XVI. And then it vanished for a bit, showed up in London, uh, was passed through King George IV of England and then into the Hope family who then sold it off. It changed hands a few more times and ended up with uh, Evelyn Walsh McLean, who was an American heiress and a little bit of a um, an eccentric in the way that most heiresses seem to be in history. And then uh, where we get to is the end of her life. We ended mm-hmm. uh, part one with her passing away. And when she passed away, uh, which was in 1947, her estate, in a tale that's all too familiar, particularly in relation to the Hope Diamond, needed to be liquidated to cover her debts. Uh, and in 1949, Harry Winston Incorporated of New York City, the famous Harry Winston Jewelers, bought the entirety of Mrs. McLean's jewelry collection. From the time he purchased the collection until late 1958, Harry Winston toured the Hope Diamond around the globe, often for charity. And then on November 10th of 1958, uh, Harry Winston donated the Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian, where it has been ever since. That is where I saw it when I was. That's where most people mm-hmm. would. When uh, I was a star- I think if my parents had, maybe not my parents, I think my grandparents were the bigger hypers of the Hope Diamond. <laughs> and I think if they had talked about its history rather than its size, I might have been less underwhelmed when I actually saw it. Yeah. I was kind of like, it's a little blue rock. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a famous and important blue rock it spanning is. centuries of history. Yes. Uh, the famous gem has actually left the Smithsonian on several occasions. In 1962, it was on display at the Louvre for one month as part of its 10 centuries of French jewelry exhibit. And in 1965, it was shown in Johannesburg, South Africa in the Rand Easter Show. In 1984, Harry Winston, Inc. borrowed the diamond for their 50th anniversary celebration. And in 1996, it actually went back to Harry Winston, Inc. again, this time for restoration and for cleaning. In 1998, the diamond moved into a new exhibit at the Natural History Museum of the Smithsonian Institution, the new Harry Winston Room in the Hall of Geology. And in 2010, uh, the Hope Diamond was actually placed into a new temporary setting, courtesy of Harry Winston, Inc. Uh, it was part of an anniversary celebration for the diamond, and it was called the Embracing Hope setting. And it was actually uh, chosen by popular vote. They had, I think they narrowed it down to three designs and then let the general population vote on it. And that was the one that they selected. Uh, so that was the temporary setting for it. The diamond is one of the most visited museum exhibits in the world, and it's displayed behind bullet and bombproof glass. Its value is roughly $350 million. 
Yeah, that's a lot of greenbacks. But one of the main things we're going to talk about on this part two episode is the curse of the Hope Diamond. Uh, as with many famous jewels in history, this one has a curse attributed to it. Uh, but as we'll see, a lot of the uh, things that people say are the cause of the diamond are really either not the cause of the diamond or didn't even happen. Uh, so we'll start with those. Um, and as we mentioned, the curse rumors really went into overdrive in the early 20th century. Here are a few of the common untrue tales of the curse. There's one story that says that the explorer who discovered the diamond stole it from a Hindu temple. In this version of the story, this discoverer was later ripped apart by dogs and the diamond was cursed as a result. In some versions of this story, that discoverer is John Baptiste Tavernier, but in others, it's some other explorer who later gave it to Tavernier. We know that Tavernier made it back to France safe and sound, not dismembered by dogs, and continued to uh, sell gems. He did write in his travel journal of a local jeweler in India extracting a diamond from an idol's eye and being punished for it, which reminds us of Indiana Jones. Yeah, so it's possible that that description that he made in his travel journal somehow got through, you know, word of mouth discussion of it turned into the story of how he got the diamond, but that's never been substantiated at all. Uh, Louis XIV's death of gangrene is attributed to the diamond. That's uh, kind of kooky. Some people attribute the bad fortune of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette's reign to their possession of the French blue. Yeah, there's even a story of Marie Antoinette wore this diamond and look what happened to her. But in fact, uh, it still would have been in that um, order of the Golden Fleece setting, which was really for men and for the king to wear for ceremonial things. So it's actually unlikely that she ever wore it. Um, so again... Uh, there are many things that they possessed that you could say were their bad luck, but they possessed silverware. Yeah. Plates. All the things. Uh, Henry Philip Hope and his family certainly had an assortment of troubles while the diamond was in their possession. But again, uh, some of those things seem like they probably would have happened anyway. Well, and presumably they had troubles at other times, too. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where they... It was in the family for a long time. There was a lot of debt and poor money management, but that, to me, suggests that they just weren't great with keeping their hands on their money or managing it very well. Right. Less so than anything else. Well, and every time I hear these stories, I kind of just want to rattle off terrible things that have happened to people who are not (laughs) in possession of a walnut-sized blue diamond. Yeah. And, I mean, there are literally lists and lists and lists that you could find of things that uh, people say must be... Because of the Hope Diamond Mm -hmm. and the curse that it carries. Uh, But what's really interesting is that when you really dive in and you look for where all of these rumors really came from, there are actually two main sources, one of which may surprise you. One is May Yowe, the wife of Francis Thomas Hope, one of the many people who have sold the diamonds to cover debts. She wrote many accounts of the diamond's curse, including her own misfortunes and unhappiness after having worn it. She even made a Hollywood movie about the curse. Yeah, uh, and there's actually some debate about whether she did actually ever wear it. The other person, and this one's quite fun, if you remember uh, how uh, 
Evelyn McLean came into possession of the diamond, she purchased it from Pierre Cartier. And as we know, Cartier, very famous name in high-end luxury goods. Uh, and it appears that Pierre Cartier was actually one of the people who really stirred this rumor pot. Uh, it's said that he was a master salesman and that he actually knew that the legends and mystery attached to the diamond would really pique Evelyn Walsh McLean's interest as a buyer. And as we mentioned in the first episode uh, on this, she talked about in her autobiography, you know, kind of this sense of like mystery and and the diamond staring back at her and her joining her fate to it uh, when she put it around her neck for good or bad. And so clearly those stories worked on her. Right. Well, and both of these people who seem to be the two main sources of all these rumors had a vested interest in telling a good story. Yeah, there was profit to be made from it. Yes. Uh, and of course, that doesn't account for the ill fortunes that befell McLean while she owned the diamond. But as we said in the first uh, part of this story, she didn't give that much credence. She basically said, you know, bad things happen to people. I, they probably would have happened to me whether I had this diamond or not. It's not the diamond. <laughs> Even the mailman who delivered the diamond to the Smithsonian, because, yes, it was sent in the mail. James Todd crushed his leg in a truck accident had head injuries from a car accident, and then had his house burned to the ground. Yeah, so people that had already bought into the curse thing, you know, they're just adding that to the list of the catalog of obvious curse support for it. Uh, and some people have even attributed the troubles of the United States to the Hope Diamond and its presence in the Smithsonian. Uh, the museum actually continues to receive letters about the curse that uh, blame the Hope Diamond for basically any problem we've ever had. I mean, terrorist attacks, Hope Diamond, economy issues, Hope Diamond. They're literally getting constant complaints saying that they need to get rid of this this item in their collection because it's bringing bad fortune to the country. Well, and then it does seem to be a trend of people <laughs> with the diamond having debt issues. They do. Although part of me thinks there's like a cause and effect element there. I think more <laughs> like the person that's going to spend a whole lot of money on a piece of jewelry is right. Maybe not the most prudent spender to begin yeah, with. If you are the sort of person who will buy a giant rare blue diamond. <laughs> Maybe you have other things going on. Yeah. And there is one account I just want to mention as a side note that uh, when McLean bought the piece from Cartier, there was a deal that if um, nothing bad happened to her in the first six months, she would keep it. But if something bad did happen and it was, in fact, cursed, she would get her money back. Uh but in any case, she kept it for more than three decades. So yeah, and wore it almost daily. I, I mean, just of, around the house. Well, and the, so it, part of me is like, man, that is so silly. And then part of me also knows that, like, if I w- was trying to buy a house and <laughs> someone told me that the house was haunted, uh-huh. I might not want it anymore, really? even though I know that's completely irrational. I know it's irrational, and I would still want it more, I think. Okay, so if somebody ever offers me a haunted house, I will sell it to you. Maybe, but I already have a house. (laughs) I really couldn't afford two, I don't think. Uh, But in the more modern era, there have been some really interesting things going on with the Hope Diamond that have nothing to do with curses and only to do with science. No, we are not not debunking curses with science. We're doing cool other stuff with science. Yeah, yeah. 
In 2005, so as we mentioned, there in all of the various stories of this diamond resurfacing, there was not usually attribution of like, oh, I purchased it from this person for this sum of money. It just kind of shows up in people's catalogs of things that they have. And uh, when it left France as the French blue, it vanished. And then two decades later, this similarly colored but smaller diamond appeared in London. And so there had always been this... Almost a presumption, I think, on the part of a lot of historians that, yes, that is the same piece, but it was just that. It wasn't supported by anything but circumstantial evidence. But that changed in 2005. That's when a research team was able to use computer analysis to determine that the Hope Diamond was indeed part of what had been the French blue, so it confirmed its lineage. The team worked from detailed sketches of the jewel that were made when it was part of the French royal collection. Then Smithsonian gem curator Jeffrey Post and his team were able to assemble computer models of the stone at its 18th century state and see that the Hope Diamond would have nested into it perfectly in one orientation. In an interview with the Associated Press, Post said, it turns out it actually fits perfectly in only one way. But at that orientation, when you saw how it fit, you could see why it was cut the way it is. They cut the corners off the French blue, changed slightly the angle of the bottom facets, and that produced the Hope Diamond. Uh, And then in 2008, a French research team did a similar analysis using scanners and lasers on a lead copy of the French blue that was found in the National Museum of Natural History in Paris. There's one named that here as well, but this is the Parisian one. Uh, And working with measurements from the Smithsonian of the Hope Diamond for comparison, so the two museums were working in conjunction, uh, they came to the same conclusion. It really just bolstered the earlier findings that, in fact this diamond had been a part of this bigger diamond and they were able to uh, really kind of identify how it had been cut down, which is really cool. I love how there's a lead copy of it. Yeah. <laughs> that was just sitting in the museum it was, it was for there. a long time. And they're like, hey, let's compare these things. In 2010, a team of scientists at the Natural History Museum drilled into the Hope Diamond to remove atoms from it to study it. Drilled may sound scary, But the crater created by the ion beam used in the procedure was only 10 angstroms deep. That's just a hair more than four billionths of an inch. Yeah, it was a very precise uh, procedure that was done. And it the way it's described, it's like they hit it with this ion beam and then there's like a vacuum effect of the atoms that get kicked up being pulled into their receptacle for analysis and... uh, those initial results that they got from it indicated the presence of carbon, hydrogen, possibly nitrogen, and boron, which they had already suspected. Uh, because the boron is credited as giving the diamond its blue hue. And what's interesting is that it's actually not uniform in its distribution throughout the diamond, which means that the Hope Diamond is actually multiple shades of blues, but to the naked eye, it looks quite uniform. When exposed to UV light, the diamond exhibits a mysterious red glow when the light is extinguished. That's because when exposed to UV light, the boron and nitrogen in the diamond interact in a way that produces phosphorescence. This phosphorescence is expressed in the form of a red glow. Yeah, and it glows that way for several minutes. It doesn't just like, you know, when you turn off the UV light, it doesn't 
just glow slow quickly and burn right out. It really holds the glow for a little while. And that's one of those things that when um, scientists were first announcing that they had discovered that it glowed red and other blue diamonds do the same thing, uh, that people attributed it back to the curse again. Like, oh, it's got mystical powers. It's glowing red. Because it's haunted. But in fact, it's um, uh, boron and nitrogen interacting within the gem. And I think... One of the really fun notes that came out of this while I was doing research is that uh, anytime any of these scientific tests are being done, it's usually in the dead of night. Like when the museum's closed, they have to pull an all-nighter to take it off display and do these things like drill into it carefully or take it out of its setting. Uh, and as Jeffrey Post, who we mentioned earlier, he's the geologist and curator at the National Museum, uh, he told Kenneth Chang of the New York Times, quote, the public gets really surly when the Hope Diamond is not there on public display. So that's why they have to very, very carefully uh, select their times when they can work on it when they know that they have. This does not surprise me at all. Yeah. And so that actually slows some of the scientific research because they have to rush it back to display before the museum opens in the morning. Yeah. I'm imagining like hairy docents being screamed at <laughs> by people who came just to see the Hope Diamond. Yeah. Not there. I mean, as we said, it is one of the most visited museum exhibits in the entire world. It would so, be like going to see the Mona Lisa and the Mona Lisa is not <laughs> on display that day. There's like a big sign that says like, pardon our progress. Or like, seriously, <laughs> I came all the way to France. Yeah, because people do make um, trips just to see that one thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not well, unheard of. And I feel like I could be remembering this wrong. I feel like that when I saw the Hope Diamond as a child, that it was a trip, a family trip to Washington, D.C., and I feel like it had just returned from that 1980s being away. Yeah. Like there was a big promotion around the Hope Diamond being back. And everybody was really excited about it. Yeah, they have to be very, anytime it is going to leave or go off display for any period of time, they really have to message it early, mm-hmm. very clearly. It will uh, not be here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you'll see on the Smithsonian website anytime, any, really any of their big exhibits are going to come down. There's usually like a big alert. This thing is not going to be on public display for the following times. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Because, I think, as you can imagine. Yeah, I think the last time that I was in uh, D.C. and went to the Smithsonian, I think I thought about going to see it, and instead I looked at dinosaurs. See, I think I've done that many times, and I'm overdue, so I need to make another trip there and go see it. Uh, So, yeah, whether you look at the Hope Diamond from a historic angle, because it has traveled through... uh, the pages of history for hundreds of years uh, or the curse angle of which it's there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, whether you believe in curses or not, it's interesting how people want to attribute every bad thing that happens to this diamond or the scientific angle. Uh, it's a really unique and entrancing gem. And it's no wonder everyone's heard about it, even if the stories have kind of gotten jumbled at times along the way. Um, but I think what's really interesting is that we're probably going to get a lot more scientific research done in the next several years. Again, it's slow going because they have to do it in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that they kind of, uh, the curators there kind of look at it as almost a portal into geological history because it has been around for so long. So since we've confirmed that it is from France and was stolen from France, uh-huh. are any talk of it returning to France? No. In fact, when that French team published their uh, 
uh, thing. They're, you're like, they're please, finding. Please don't give it back. It's cursed. No, it wasn't even that. They were like, no, it's really unlikely. You know, it's been at the Smithsonian for so long. And, you know, there's a very cooperative trust amongst the museums anyway. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's any big uh, effort or desire to chase that down. Mm-hmm. Because even if it was stolen from the French monarchy or the, you know, revolutionary uh, government, at that point, it had been so long ago. And remember, it didn't surface again in London until after the statute of limitations on the theft would have run out. It's convenient. So, yeah. <laughs> so it um, it's really probably not uh, an issue worth fighting over or even, you know, it, starting the paperwork would be probably it train wreck of a right. of man hours so not not really likely i would be shocked if at some point the french government said give me that <laughs> so <laughs> give that back it's ours fine we want the pretties do you also have some listener mail i do and i'm overdue to read this one uh this one comes from our listener christopher who says greetings from the land of the rising sun it's a postcard it says i am in the navy stationed in japan and have listened to all of your episodes during the long days at sea i appreciate the research on each topic recently i listened to several episodes while hiking to the top of mount fuji keep up the good work i just wanted to read that because uh thank you for your service christopher we appreciate it an awful lot and i like knowing that uh you know it is being listened to on mount fuji and at sea. And at sea. And it's a really beautiful picture of Mount Fuji. Uh, it's a little weather-beaten because coming through the Postal Service, postcards don't always get treated with uh, tender, loving care. <laughs> well, even once they get into our building, they're not always treated. Yeah, there are many points <laughs> along the path that things can really meet a rough... A lot uh, of sorting has to happen. rough activity. So if you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at discovery.com. You can connect with us on Twitter, at History or on facebook.com slash historyclassstuff. You can also visit us at missinhistory.tumblr.com or on Pinterest where we have a board full of historical things to behold. If you would like to learn more about what we talked about today, you can go to our website and type in the word curses in the uh, search bar and you will get an article called 10 Famous Curses. And unfortunately, the Hope Diamond curse is not included, but many others are. Uh, and you can also research almost anything else you would like at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Audible has more than 100,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded to your iPod or MP3 player. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash history to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today.